Well, before we look into God's word, let us speak with him and ask for his help. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that we have truth before us, that these words are not words made up by men, but they are words delivered by your Holy Spirit through men to us, that they are your words. We pray for understanding this morning, that we may be able to have insight into what you have, have, would have us to understand about them and that we may grow in knowledge of yourself through reading your word and that we may become more obedient as a result of reading your word. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, when I was leading up to my marriage, I found it quite amusing that uh, wedding etiquette is one of those strange things that uh, seems very... Uh, tangible. It doesn't seem like there's one rule book that's made up as to what exactly is meant to happen at a wedding. So you'd ask one person what is the role of, of, of someone at the wedding or, or what are you meant to do in one place and they'd say this, this and this. And then you go to someone else and they'd say no, 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 you're meant to do this, this and this. And so you'd have, and, and even within the family, conflicting ideas or between the families, conflicting ideas of what people were meant to do. And so it's always a bit confusing as to what is the right way to go and then some people are unhappy about you know, various aspects of the wedding because wedding etiquette isn't set in stone. That's why I, of course, always like the Bible as a, as a rule of thumb for religion is because you have a rule book there and, you, and if people uh, disagree, you take them back to the book. With wedding etiquette, there is no book. There are many books, there are many magazines, brides magazines, those kinds of things. They have all kinds of suggestions uh, as to what is the proper thing to do but uh, they, all, they disagree on different points. And so one of the things that uh, I looked up on the internet recently uh, this week was to look at what is uh, the, the role of the best man. What is the role of the best man? What is he meant to do at the wedding? Because there's different views. Uh, one that seems to be a standard was uh, hold the rings before the ceremony and during the ceremony when the bride and groom are giving each other the wedding rings, he's meant to pass them on. He's meant to act as a legal witness to the wedding. So he's the one who, who signs off, yes, uh, they're married on the government forms and uh, he's meant to make a toast to the newlyweds that's a fairly standard thing as well he's meant to organise the bachelor party so uh, he's meant to make sure that that occurs and uh, it says some are also responsible for getting certain things such as the suits, ties etc for the rest of the groom's wedding party now I think if that was the standard thing uh, I'm not sure many brides would be happy with that job because uh, some best men may not be that reliable. It seems to me that a lot of that comes from the bride at certain points, organising that sort of thing. Uh, he's meant to act as a go-between for the groom and give the bride her wedding gift from the groom on the day of the wedding. So he's meant to act as a go-between between them. Now, I must admit, I, I read that one and thought, oh, I... Um, I didn't give Jilla a present for the wedding. I thought I was uh, the present and she was the present to me. Uh, so we didn't exchange gifts, so uh, my best man didn't have to do that one. Uh, maybe I should milk that now that um, I, I, I'm owed a present and I owe her one. Uh, provide transportation for the bride and groom and to give the groom assistance for whatever he needs on the day. Uh, whatever assistance he needs, then, uh, then it must be given uh, by the best men. Well, best men aren't a new invention. They're actually... Some, uh, they're, they're people that have been around for a long time and we see that in Judges we see that, uh, that there with Samson he's given friends at his wedding and they're meant to attend to his needs and we see it here in the New Testament as well it's followed through the ages and we see it in the New Testament with John the Baptist calling himself the friend of the bridegroom uh, in verse 29 of John chapter 3 
we see there that he uh, says the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom is basically the best man, he waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. So it's something that's carried on through the ages, this idea of having a friend who helps with the wedding as it proceeds and with the lead up to it as well. And uh, with John here, he is actually taking that illustration and applying it to Jesus Christ. He is saying that Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, the church is the bride, so people are the bride, and he as the friend is facilitating the match. He is trying to get them to go together. The question is, is uh, what is the role of the, bride, uh, of the bridegroom in this time? Because, of course, uh, of the best man. Because, of course, uh, we have ideas of what the best man should and shouldn't do. The internet has different ideas. So I thought it might be good to explore this illustration, to go back and see what it meant to be a best man in the day of Jesus Christ, when Jesus Christ was going along. So my first main point is, what was the role of the best man? What was the role of the best man? To try and understand this illustration, what was the role of the best man? Well, firstly, uh, historical records tell us he was the marriage negotiator. He was often the one who negotiated the wedding between the bride and the bridegroom. This was particularly in this time where women would often be in seclusion and they wouldn't be allowed to just fraternise with any young men that they chose. They had to have someone facilitate and act as a go-between. So the bride, uh, the best man, the friend, he would act as a go-between and it's kind of, I think that may be retained today with that exchange of wedding gifts that I read about, that he's acting as a go-between there. And so we know at the time of Jesus Christ that friends were often the ones who negotiated the wedding and said, yes, uh, my, my, my mate's interested in you and this kind of thing and, and worked it out. Uh, he also contributed financially to the wedding, so he was one of the, the guys who gave out the bucks. And then uh, he functioned as a witness of the wedding, so like uh, today, so he was one of the ones who made sure, yep, this guy is definitely married to this girl. He gave speeches of encouragement, so he was meant to be there and encouraging that this is, uh, this is a good thing that's going on today with this bride and this bridegroom getting married. And he was concerned with the success of the wedding, so he's the one who's meant to be making sure that the wedding goes through successfully. He's got a responsibility to make sure that things are happening and that the wedding goes through. And he's meant to be joyful about the marriage. He was supposed to be a person who rejoiced in the marriage. He's not supposed to be glum about it. And we see that with the evidence that we've got before us in John chapter 3, where John says that uh, the bridegroom waits and listens, uh, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. The friend is meant to rejoice that the bridegroom is getting matched up with the bride. And rabbis actually let the Jews off from daily prayers when the wedding was uh, taking place so that they'd have more time to, for the success of the wedding and so that they could uh, take part in the rejoicing. So the guests as well would be free from uh, religious observances and if there was a, a festival going on, one of the religious festivals, they would be free to not have to take part. They could just celebrate in the wedding so that everyone would be as joyful as possible. Weddings were meant to be a joyful occasion and no one was meant to rejoice more than the best man. It was his friend finally getting married and so he was meant, was meant to be very joyful. But there is a bit of a negative with being the best man is that the whole thing is meant to be about the attention being put upon the bridegroom and the bride. He's not the centre of attention. He's intimately concerned with the success of the wedding. 
but he's not the centre of attention. And if he does his job well, he does himself out of a job. As he does his job well, it continues to get better and better and eventually he does himself out of the job altogether as the bride and bridegroom come together and are married and he no longer has uh, the responsibilities that he had in the past. So if he does his job well, he doesn't have to do it again. He's, he's done it once and the bride and bridegroom are together. And there was a big don't. There was a big thing you never did as the friend, as the best man. And that was ever take the bride for yourself. You were never to get married to the bride, to get jealous of the bridegroom and the way that he had this attention of the bride. You were never to take the bride for yourself. And that was an old custom that we see. That went across all the ancient cultures and it was actually seen to be a serious crime. And we see that with uh, the reading from Judges. It goes right back there to Judges. And uh, you want to flip back there to Judges chapter, chapter 15. Uh, or we'll go to 14 verse 20. It says there in Judges 14 verse 20, And Samson's wife, after the celebrations, was given to the friend who had attended him at his wedding. So Samson takes off and, uh, and his wife is given to the friend who attended him at the wedding. And what does that mean that, uh, that uh, Samson says? In verse 3 he says, This time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I will really harm them. He saw this as a right, that they had done clearly the wrong thing by uh, giving the wife to the friend, one of the friends who was meant to make sure that the, the wedding went successfully. The bride ended up with this friend and Samson said, I have a right to avenge myself here. And then did the Philistines think that he had a right? Well, we see down in verse 6. Halfway through verse 6, uh, well, they're told uh, who did this, Samson did it because his wife was given to his friend. And what did the Philistines do? They say, oh, he shouldn't have done that. No, they say, so the Philistines went up and burned her and her father to death. They saw it as the wrong thing to do. The friend should never, ever marry the bride. So, it's a serious crime to marry the bride. And this is a good background to what we see with John the Baptist. John the Baptist has used this as an illustration that he is the friend who attends the bridegroom, that Jesus is the bridegroom, he is the friend and the bride is the church. And so the question is then, we know what a best man was supposed to do, does John fulfil his role in being a good best man? And that's my second main point, is John is a faithful best man. He is a faithful friend of the bridegroom. How do we know this? Well, we'll look at the passage, John 3 uh, we'll look at there and the first thing we see is that there's a good contrast between John the Baptist and people who clearly aren't friends of the bridegroom. They aren't friends of Jesus Christ. Who are these? Well, these are John's disciples and we see them introduced uh, in verse 25. They have an argument developing between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing and then they must have brought Jesus up because then they come back to, to John and they say to him, Rabbi, that man who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. These clearly aren't friends of Jesus. They aren't friends of the bridegroom. And they make a good contrast with John. How do we know that they aren't friends of the bridegroom? Well, there's a couple of little clues. <clears throat> Firstly, it's interesting that they call John, Rabbi, Great One, 
teacher, they call him rabbi, but then what do they say about Jesus? Do they use Jesus' name? They say, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, you know, the one you testified about, well, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. They don't even know really Jesus' name. They don't know. Uh, we, we've got that vague recollection, the one that you baptised a while ago and he's now over there baptising. They don't know Jesus' name. They don't know the bridegroom. They don't even know his name. They aren't friends of the bridegroom at all. And they come to John and they expect that John's going to be shocked that he is baptising. John, of course, is the one who's got the patent on baptising. He's the one who is giving the baptism of repentance. The Jews had their ceremonial washing, but John had come up with this new thing, this new baptism that you're meant to go through, even if you're a Jew. And now, Jesus, he's, he's stealing your thunder. He's taking off with your baptism and he's doing it over the other side. And so they're concerned that John is losing some of his market, that Jesus is basically uh, violating copyright that Jesus should have to really submit to John. He submitted to his baptism. He should be giving John's baptism but saying it's John's baptism and sending people back to John. John should be at the top. Jesus is underneath. Jesus was baptised by John. But no, we see that, uh, that, uh, that, these, that John doesn't go along with this but he sees that this is a bad way to be a friend of Christ. And the other thing that they, uh, we note with that, that they're saying that Jesus is baptising over there, is that it's actually a lie. Was Jesus baptising? Was anyone ever baptised by Jesus Christ? It would be a great status thing to say, you know, I was baptised by Paul, I was baptised by Apollos, I was baptised by Jesus. Was anyone baptised by Jesus? Well, we read in uh, chapter 4, we didn't read it this morning, but uh, we will now. Chapter 4, verse 2, we'll read verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised, but his disciples. Jesus' disciples were doing the baptising. It wasn't Jesus himself. So these uh, disciples of John have actually got it wrong. Whether they're deliberately lying to John, is, uh, you can't say for sure, but at least they were ignorant of what was happening over there. They may have just heard of what's going on there, just like they just heard of this man. We don't know his name. Uh, we don't know that's Jesus. We've just heard this guy over there is baptising and it's not actually true that he was baptising. If they'd investigated, they would have found out that he wasn't baptising himself. And so they also are bad friends with their exaggeration. They exaggerate there in uh, verse 26. They say, he is baptising and everyone is going to him. It's like they're saying all in the Greek. It says all are going over to him. But we know that not all were going over to Jesus Christ. Not everyone was following Jesus Christ. Yes, large numbers of people were coming, but some were going at times. Uh, They're saying that all are going over to him to try and get John to react to this. Look, I'm really losing ground here. Everyone is going over there. If I don't act now, I'm going to have no one following off after me. So we have a good contrast there with people who clearly aren't friends of Jesus Christ. They aren't friends of the bridegroom. Does John get sucked into this? Does John end up being an unfaithful best man? Well, we see in contrast to his disciples, John is an admirable best man. He is a great best man. Firstly, we see in verse 27, he points out that what he has received is just from heaven. He isn't the one who has everything. He is a, a lower down on the scale. He's not up there with the bridegroom. Verse 27, to this John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven. He's limited and he's lower down on the scale. 
Jesus is higher up. He's already testified that Jesus is the Christ. He says that in verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Christ, I am not the bridegroom, but am sent ahead of him. I am lower down, I am not the Christ. People kept coming to John and saying, are you the Christ? And he said, no, I'm not the Christ. And he said, I've already said that I'm not the Christ. Why are you coming to me and thinking that I am the Christ? And he comes out as a a good bridegroom in the way that he expresses his joy. So he gives this illustration in verse 29 then, the bridegroom belongs to the bridegroom, the bride belongs to the bridegroom, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. John's disciples weren't full of joy when they hear about Jesus over there and attracting large numbers of people to him. But is John joyful? Yes, he says he is exceedingly joyful. He's full of joy that Jesus has so many people coming to him. And he knows, he, he knows that the bride does not belong to the bridegroom. He says that there in, at the beginning of verse 29 as well. He correctly matchmakes the people with the bridegroom. He says, I'm not the bridegroom. The bridegroom's over there. The bride belongs not to the friend, but it belongs to the bridegroom. And he says that he, as the friend of the bridegroom, he must actually become less. So we see him uh, becoming less in verse 30. He says, he must become greater, I must become less. Just as the friend who negotiated the wedding between the bride and the bridegroom eventually does himself out of a job as the bride and the bridegroom come progressively towards one another and can meet with one another and then they have no longer need to communicate through the friend, the friend becomes less, so John the Baptist sees himself in the same role. Eventually the bride is going to be connected with the bridegroom and they won't need me any longer because they're intimately connected with one another. There is no longer a need for the friend. And so he says in verse 30, he must become greater. The bridegroom always becomes greater. He must become greater and I must become less. So John the Baptist is a good best man. He doesn't interrupt with the wedding process. He wants the bride and the bridegroom to get together. The question is, is he a misled best man? Is he a misled best man? Is the bridegroom actually better? Is the bridegroom actually lower than John? Well, of course, we see that Jesus is the greatest bridegroom. And we see this last little speech from verses 31 to 36 make this clear. Now, it's not quite clear whether this is actually said by John the Baptist from verses 31 to 36 and if you uh, look at the end of verse 36 you'll see a little letter H in your NIV translations and it drops down some interpreters end the quotation after verse 30 and so it may be that this is just John uh, the evangelist the guy who wrote the gospel of John that these are his words Uh, but if if it's uh, John the Baptist, it makes a pretty fine speech. You know how the best man's meant to give a speech of encouragement and even today the best man's meant to get up and give a speech? This is a pretty good speech about the bridegroom. Today's best man's speeches often seem to ridicule the bridegroom. They're not so much about elevating the bridegroom and encouraging the bridegroom. Uh, they're more about ridiculing. But here we see a very good example of someone elevating the bridegroom and saying the bridegroom is the one. So how is Jesus the greatest? How is Jesus the greatest? Well, firstly, we see that he is the greatest because he is the one who comes from above and is therefore 
above all. Whereas John comes from the earth. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. John the Baptist is from the earth. Where's Jesus, the bridegroom, come from? He's come from above. What does that mean? He is above all. We see it twice there. It says above all. Verse 31, the one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He says it there twice. He wants to emphasise that the bridegroom in Jesus Christ is above me. He's not below me. He is above me because he is from heaven. Is that the extent of the speech? Is the bridegroom elevated in any other way? Yes, he continues on. It says in verse 32, Jesus, as the bridegroom, testifies to what he has seen and heard. Jesus Christ has actually seen and heard things in heaven. He is not just like one of the prophets who is told things directly. He has actually been to heaven and seen what goes on in heaven. He is from above and he has seen and heard things that man has no way of knowing. And that's what John the Baptist is. He is a man who is from the earth, whereas Jesus is from above and has seen and heard things in heaven. And he continues that the man in verse 33 who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. The man who certifies that Jesus is from above certifies that Jesus is truthful, that God is truthful. Jesus comes with truth and he comes with truth and the very words of God. Verse 34, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. He has the very words of God when he speaks. We uh, think you know, with Paul, yes, he, he, when he wrote stuff down, they're God's words that we have in his letters. But when he spoke normally, uh, not necessarily inspired, not necessarily the words of God. But Jesus, when he spoke, they were the words of God. He spoke the very words of God. That makes him such a great bridegroom in comparison to any prophet, any apostle ever sent, who, of course, is from the earth. Jesus has the very words of God and that makes him the greatest of bridegrooms. And then we see that he has, in verse 34, the spirit without limit. In comparison to the other prophets and the apostles, they had the spirit in measure. And we too, as Christians, we have the spirit in measure. We have, a, we have the spirit abundantly, but it doesn't say that we have him without limit. Whereas Jesus Christ, he was so connected with the Holy Spirit, he's in such an intimate relationship with him that he has the Holy Spirit without limit. And not just that member of the Trinity, he is in close connection with the Father as well. The very next verse, the Father loves the Son. This bridegroom is connected with the Holy Spirit and God the Father in a way that no other friend could possibly be connected. Jesus is the greatest of bridegrooms. He is there in such a close relationship with God the Father and the Holy Spirit that no one comes even close. No friend could even dare to claim what this bridegroom can claim. And then the last bit, the really, this is an important bit, what this bridegroom can do that no other friend could possibly dare to do. What does it say there? Uh, In verse uh, 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. This bridegroom gives eternal life. 
No friend can claim to give eternal life. If you believe in John the Baptist, you will have eternal life. Is that what the text says? No, it says if you believe in the Son, you will have eternal life. This bridegroom is the only one who can give eternal life and if you don't believe, what happens? You get eternal life some other way? You can find some other bridegroom that might give you eternal life? No, the world is divided into those who believe and have eternal life and those who don't believe and what do they have? But whoever rejects the Son will not see life for God's wrath remains on him. This is the only mention of the word of uh, wrath in John's Gospel. Uh, wrath appears a lot in John's Revelation. This is the only mention of it here. And what's it in connection to? Rejecting the Son. There's no other bridegroom available if you reject Jesus Christ. There's no other way to get eternal life. Any friend is going to be a pale, pale, pale comparison to this bridegroom this son who gives eternal life. So, Jesus is the greatest man. John is a faithful friend. He points people to Jesus Christ and says, I'm not the bridegroom, I'm not even close. And if this speech is from him, he's given a very fine uh, wedding speech. He's fulfilled his job as a best man and said, the bridegroom is what it all is all about. I am nothing in comparison to this bridegroom. So, what can we learn from this? What can we learn from this uh, illustration that, uh, that is given here of John the Baptist as the best man and Jesus as the bridegroom? What can we learn? Well, I've pulled out three lessons. Three lessons. Lesson one, be good brides. Be good brides. You, as the people of God, are Jesus Christ's bride. Be good brides. Don't run off with friends, with the friends of the bridegroom, with the best man. Be faithful brides to Jesus Christ. People often get distracted by the friend. And it may be that the friend was well-meaning and didn't intend to have people attracted to him. And that's what with John. He's still got these disciples following him even after he said, Jesus is the bridegroom. He's the one you're meant to be following. And some of his disciples did follow. We see that with Andrew and, and one of the other disciples. They take off after, after Jesus Christ. But there's still people coming to John the Baptist. And we see, and that happens in Acts 19, we see people still there only knowing John's baptism. And even today, there are people called Mandians. There's only a few thousand of them worldwide. They're mainly in South Iraq. They still follow John the Baptist. They're still following that guy who was a faithful best man and said, don't follow me, follow Jesus Christ. Some people are attracted to the best man. And as ministers of the gospel, uh, some people are great ministers and they are very capable and people really like them and they end up being attracted to the best man, even without the best man wanting it to happen. Then there's other people who claim to be the best man, claim to be friends, and they really want to get at the bride. They want to distract the bride from the bridegroom. And so we've got to be faithful as Christians to make sure we're good brides and don't get distracted by the friend. Lesson two, be good friends. Be a good bride, be good friends. Because the thing is, you are part of the bride, but you're also called to be friends of the bridegroom. You're supposed to match make people up with Jesus Christ. You're meant to be going out there and helping people to understand that they can be part of this bride and be matched up with the bridegroom. Be good friends. 
Be matchmakers. I've only tried matchmaking once. Uh, it wasn't successful. I tried to match up a friend with a friend of another friend and we got them together. We all sort of met in a group and uh, it didn't work out. And my mum's done it quite a few times and done it successfully. There's quite a few marriages uh, around that, uh, that my mother has arranged. She said, oh, you'd be good for this guy and, uh, and sort of set it up. Now, I'm not sure whether I'd do it again in a hurry and that's something that uh, you can be turned off is matchmaking friends with friends. But don't be turned off matchmaking people with Jesus Christ. Be matchmakers for Christ. Develop relationships purely with the intent of getting them to Christ. That's what we do with strangers. That's what we do at things like the preschool picnic. You, you meet people there and what's the intention in the back of your mind? Uh, I'm going to get some new friends for myself. Now I'm developing relationships here so that I can matchmake them with Christ. I want to woo them for Christ. I want to be a good friend. I want to be a good matchmaker and match them up with Jesus Christ. And that's what I'd like to know that when people come to Des Moines Baptist Church, they meet a whole army of matchmakers, people wanting to introduce them to Jesus Christ. Have you heard of Jesus Christ? Do you know about Jesus Christ? Have you read his word where he talks about himself? Do you know Jesus Christ? And then continue courting them. See, that's the thing. As Christians, we are married to Christ. We're as good as married. But we're still in a courting relationship as well. Until we get to heaven, until the, the, the kingdom is consummated, the kingdom of God is consummated, we're still in a sort of a courting relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we need to encourage each other to continue courting Jesus Christ, continue being introduced to Jesus Christ, read his word uh, and speak to one another and say, how, how has your husband been to you this week? How has Jesus Christ been to you? Has he been a good husband? Have you been able to recognise the blessings that he is showering upon you? Were you able to go to him with your concerns and cares? Continue matchmaking people with Jesus Christ and continue helping them to court Jesus Christ. Encourage them. Be best men that are intimately concerned about the success of the wedding. You want people to be there on that last day married to Christ. You want to see them persevere in the courting process. Be good best men for the people around you. And be happy matchmakers as well. That's the last bit of that point. Was that John is joyful about being a matchmaker. It's not a chore. It should be a joy. When you matchmake someone with Jesus Christ and they become a part of his kingdom, get joyful about it. It is an exciting thing that someone has passed from death to life and is now going to be for an eternity in heaven with the greatest bridegroom of all time. And then lesson three, last lesson, Don't be bad friends. Be good friends. Don't be bad friends. How don't you be a bad friend? Don't ever interfere with the bride yourself. Don't ever be jealous of the attention that the bridegroom Jesus Christ is getting and want that attention for yourself. Don't ever presume to be the bridegroom and claim them as yours. They're Jesus' people, not yours. That's the thing at a wedding. You can sometimes get jealous of all the attention that the bride and bridegroom is getting as the best man. You think you're actually a better catch for the, for the bridegroom, uh, for the bride. And you think that the bridegroom maybe shouldn't have uh, this guy, particularly if you know some of his background, you think, oh, yeah, I'd probably be better. 
Don't ever think that. The bridegroom in Jesus Christ is the most attractive bridegroom. He is so far superior to anything that we could ever claim. We should never want Christ's people for ourselves. Jesus Christ has committed the care of his bride to people like me as ministers and to people like you as you care for one another's needs. Make sure you're good friends. He has gone on a long journey and he's coming back and he's committed this bride to the care of the friends. Be good friends and don't ever try to get at the bride and claim that attention for yourself. Don't seduce the bride. And so I want to just at this last point then try and matchmake people here today. Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time and you've never become a bride of Christ yourself. Consider who the bridegroom is. Here's this one that we have this fabulous speech about here. Here's the one who is above all. He's the one who's in a close relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. He has everything has been committed to his hands. Don't settle for anything less. Settle for the bridegroom, that marvellous bridegroom. Don't settle for a best man instead. Christianity really isn't about any sort of intellectual pursuit, about being able to tick the right boxes. I know about the Trinity. I know about Jesus Christ. I know who he is. I know he died on the cross. It's not an intellectual pursuit. Christianity is about getting married. Be married to Christ. Don't settle for any best man, no matter how attractive he is. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ today. He is the one who gives eternal life if you believe on him. If you reject him, God's wrath remains on you and that is not an option. Let me encourage you to settle for. Don't let God's wrath remain on you. Become part of his bride today. Alright, let's speak with him. Heavenly Father, we do indeed thank you that we can be matched up with that marvellous bridegroom, that we are called to be a part of his bride. We pray that we may be faithful brides, that we may not be distracted by any best men, no matter how attractive they may be, but that we may be committed to the bridegroom every day of our lives and continue courting Christ. We pray that we may be indeed good matchmakers, that we may want to seek others to come and be a part of the Bride of Christ, that we may encourage them, introduce them to Jesus as much as we can, develop relationships purely with the intention of matchmaking them with Christ. The world has such a great need to be matched with Christ and we pray that we may be good best men, just as John the Baptist was a great best man so many years ago. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.